Welcome to the Hope United Church Podcast. We are one church with two locations. For video live streams of our services and more information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk. We have been in the Gospel of John now for I don't know how long, seven, eight weeks, and we last week we just finished chapter two. Uh, we are going to begin through this all the way right through the Gospel of John, right until going with the process and what we're going through. It's going to take us two years to get through the Gospel of John. <laughs> two years. It took us a year. It took us a year, just over a year, to get through the book of Acts, and we were rushing it. Uh, it'll take us two years to get through the Gospel of John. I'll be 51 when it's finished. I know. They're your first miracle you've heard today. And you've seen many sins and wonders that day. They're the first one. That guy will be 51 by the time he finishes. That means he's 40. No way. It's a miracle right there. I'll be 51. That's what Fraser says. We've got to be about 51 by the time we finish the, the, the Gospel of John. And obviously, as we transitioned in a church to become the church that we are in the process of that, uh, I, we would have never have done that. We would have never opened a book and went to start to finish in a book. That would have been that wouldn't be exciting enough. It wouldn't be contemporary enough. I wouldn't get all the glory enough. Uh, I wouldn't be able to use my brains and my gifted communication enough. No, and I couldn't wow you and tickle your ears. Uh, and not only that, no, all kidding aside, we would have believed that it wouldn't have been enough to equip you. And it's not true. No, line upon line, it doesn't matter what book you're in. Just put, no, people say, where should I start? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Just, just start. Just open the book and go from start to finish. And what we are doing here is everything will be documented. Every single word will be documented. Every single scripture verse will be documented. And you'll be able to go and find it anywhere. So if you're ever looking it up or want to reference it, you'll be able to find it. No, because it's all going to be documented uh, word for word all the way through. Well, the Gospel of John, as we know, is... Uh, the Gospel of John is probably the holiest book in the Bible. Uh, John's account of Jesus is phenomenal. And you now chapter one in itself, I mean, you could, uh, if you've any ambition, it's not about having ambition, if you're called to the ministry in any way whatsoever, you know, you could probably spend your entire ministry in John chapter one and, be, and still be okay. You'll be all right. You'll probably have enough there to get through it. The Gospel of John is as simple that a child can understand. And it's that deep that we can't comprehend, as we know. Uh, the, the defining verse is John 1, chapter 14, uh, John, John 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us as the only begotten Son of God, full of truth. And we beheld his glory. I mean, in John's account, John's simple account of the gospel is, I walked with the Lord for three years. I walked with God in the flesh for three years. This white knuckled ride for three years to walk with God in the flesh for three years, and now I'm documenting what it was like. Yeah. That's the Gospel of John, and it's different for the other Gospels. They say there's no there's no manger as we're coming up to Christmas. There's no three wise men. There's no gold frankincense and myrrh. There's no follow the star of the east. There's no none of that. No, it's 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 the account of who Jesus is as God. It's no, there's no parables in the Gospel of John. 
no stories of that ilk in the Gospel of John. It's John's account of experiencing God and what it's like to, for him to walk with God and then share it with us retrospectively. Yeah. No, 60 years after it, he's wrote this runabout, from the time of Jesus, no, 30 years plus after that. That's when he's wrote this. So a lot of stuff he's wrote is in retrospect, you know, so he's writing it. Uh, and it, it's phenomenal. When we, when, we, when we went through the book of Acts, and especially the life of Paul, it, it was jaw-dropping me sitting here like, he is amazing. Yeah. And now we're only two chapters into John, and I'm like, he's amazing. <laughs> you know, that's what I'm like. I'm like, he's amazing as well. You know, he, oh, they became amazing. So we're in that, and where, where we're at now, Jesus had performed a miracle uh, first. Uh, the first chapter is all about the prologue, you knowing the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then as we move on, then he, Jesus again goes to Cana. He, he starts to gather his disciples, starting with John and Andrew. Then Peter, Nathaniel, Philip, and boom, boom, the rest goes on. And then he's went to Cana, performed a miracle there where he turned water into wine and then left there from Cana and where are we up to then? And then he goes into the temple and he cleanses the temple where he turns the tables upside down and he, he cleanses the temple. That's the second miracle that Jesus performed. No, it's not documented as a miracle, but it's a real miracle because to single-handedly, they say there were roughly about 250,000 people so that would have meant 250,000 animals to sacrifice. That would have freaked out. I said it last week. There's no way I could get in there. Get in there, I build me 250,000 animals, birds flying about and all sorts of stuff. I don't know if there would have been birds flying about. There were ox and sheep and stuff, you know. That would have been a right stinky church, uh, for sure. And they were selling stuff, really stinky. A zoo. You ever been to your church like that? Uh, so it's like a zoo. And uh, then he leaves there, he cleanses the temple, and as he's coming to the end of this section, he says something, which we're going to get into first before we get into chapter 3. Uh, we'll, pop the, we'll pop the subhead in here, and, and just, this is great, this is the great thing, see, I used to have to come up with phenomenal titles, <laughs> you know, just to show how creative I was. You ever get that, you go to church and the people, they come up with that many phenomenal, do you know, it's deliberate, I know it's deliberate, I spend time, I used to spend time with loads of these guys when we would discuss titles, you know, because they want to, <laughs> I know it's pathetic, see when I think about it, do you know why, they're trying to be brilliant, so if they come up with a title that you'll know get what they're talking about, that's what they do, right, I know, I've been there, so what you do is you come up with a title that you'll know of a clue what you're talking about, right, but they know. And then as they dissect the message, you understand what the title meant, and you go, wow, that's clever. This is no clever at all. This is just, this is just the Gospel of John and what it means to be born again. Okay, that's it. That's, and that, that took me about four seconds to come up with that, which is brilliant. So it means you can leave a lot more time in studying the Word. Uh, so any chapter three, which is maybe chapter three of the Gospel of John, which we will be in, no, looking at it, and as I've been studying it, we will be in chapter three of the Gospel of John up to Christmas. We'll stop 
this this will this will be three four weeks in this chapter alone. You'll never get through this, and it'll be back and forward. It's no one of the ones that you go for one to six if you get through to that mount, or one to ten, and then and then get through to ten to twenty or whatever. It'll no be like that. It'll be back and forward and back and forward because there is so much in John chapter three. It is probably the most or one of the most important scriptures in the Bible that you'll ever read. If you ever want to learn about scripture, this has to be the one that you really read about. It's the most vital scripture that you'll ever, ever learn is John chapter 3. And we'll be working through it over to Christmas and then we'll stop and do some other stuff at Christmas uh, in our Christmas Eve service and, and that stuff. And we've got other stuff coming up which we're excited about. Uh, but I'm going to start with a few verses that I finished with last week from chapter 2 and at the end of chapter 2 is is actually a direct link. And as we finished chapter 2 last week, sometimes in the Bible, sometimes what happens in Scripture is, is you know, they've got to have a chapter somewhere, otherwise it would last forever. And it, sometimes it's just the way it's worded. So if you're ever studying the Bible, don't just presume at the end of the chapter is the end of the story. Because sometimes the end of 2 then... You've got halfway through three. It's it's just the way it's been done, and here is it's it's particularly uh, can it could be off-putting because as you get into chapter three, it really should still be in chapter two because Jesus is still addressing. It's no a different event. He's actually addressing the same issue and the same event. Uh, so the meaning of born again and and the reason is a. Uh, the reason I've wrote that is I just wanted to be find it very easy when we ever look for it again because that's exactly what it's about. And uh, let me just share this. See, before I get saved, see that word born again freaked me out. I had real issues with the word born again. I don't know about you. I, I, now, maybe you came from a different... If you were brought up in church and you were brought up in... in, in with Christians and all that, the word born again wouldn't have had such an adverse effect that it had in me. Uh, wasn't it the word Christian was had a whole different connotation to me, but the word born again, yeah. that I, I mean you were in freak show with that. Yeah. I'm, ta- I'm, not, I'm not talking, but maybe you didn't think that this. I'm telling you where my mind was. We born again. You're one of the. Are you one of the born again? <laughs> it was a whole different. Do you get what I'm saying? It's got a different. Oh, it was either a you want. I'm a born again Christian. What, what do you mean you're a born again Christian? Let me just say for the offset, there's no such thing. You either are one or you aren't one. You, if, if you're a Christian, full on, saved by grace, you're born again. And if you're not, you're no saved at all and you're not even a Christian. There's no, there's no, there's no a section of Christianity called born again. But there was in my world. There was in my world. And they were either called born agains, they born agains. Because they were the, the, the freak show, right? Or the happy clappies was another name for them. Do you remember that? Oh, they're the happy clappies, you know. And I was, I'm the one who get near happy clappies. No, no for the environment I came for, right? So, and for you, for many years you might have been, well, I was brought up in church. I was brought up, born again. I mean, I, I came out in a rash when I heard that statement, born again. What, born again? What does that mean? No. And because I didn't place born again to an understanding of what the scripture meant. And some of you still might know even. I didn't, I didn't think born again means, oh, you're born again. You're not born of the flesh and you're not born of the blood of man, but you're born of Christ. I didn't know that. I just, I just presumed born again was the wee guy I met who was a born again. And he was radical. 
He was the most radical. I mean, I couldn't have met a worse born again or better, whatever way you want to look at it. In my world, it was the worst you could have ever met because it carried such a stigma for me. Born again. And chapter three is all about being born again. The end of two and three, it's all about what it means to be born again. And I, I, I found it deeply, deeply unhelpful. I never use, somebody asked me, are you a, are you a Christian, you believe? And I would say, I'm a born again Christian. I never say that. I, I've, I couldn't, I don't think I've ever said that. No, because it, I was, but before I was saved, I seem to bump into these folk who are born again. They would say they were born again. No, the wee guy I worked with was a born again Christian and the name born again Christian, it fills fills many people. Many, many people we dread, certainly did me. And it it filled me with all sorts of ideas. Are you a born again Christian? Are you a happy clappy? The first encounter with a born again Christian I had was at work. Okay, so I had an encounter with a born again Christian. I'm 18, 19 years of age. I'm full-blown alcoholic by this point, okay? So I know we're very expository, but because we're going to be in this chapter for four weeks, it's important that we capture, in case you've no captured, if you have, then great, that we fully understand. It's like John chapter one. You think, well, I know that in in, in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. And I'm thinking, aye, that's dead simple. But it's no, this is, this is how John writes. He simplifies everything. And there's so much stuff you can take for granted in Christianity that you just bypass. And you're thinking, what does it mean to be really born again? And do I understand it? And what goes on? So my first encounter with a born again Christian was at work. When a guy introduced himself to me and says, my name's James and I'm, I'm born again. And I knew he was born again before I met him because everybody told me he's the wee born again. <laughs> they told me he's the wee born again. Who gets landed with the wee born again in day one? Me. You know, he became my labourer. James knows him. And he's, I'm not, the guy's a great wee guy, for, but he, he was a wee born again. So I had no perception of Christianity. I just had a perception of what born again was. And it was this wee guy born again. No, and I, it's not the first time I'd heard the word born again. No, do you remember the, do you remember the World Cup was on? Remember England was playing, just, I just thought of something there. Remember England, now Scotland always against England, that's not right, but they were, the, the, first they were playing Czech Republic, so we were, what, what, what was it we called ourselves? What? No, that was the second team they played, they played Sweden. Yeah. Uh, Czech, I, can't, I can't remember what the Czech thing was, what was it? Oh aye, we're a new creation. No, when they played Czech, we were a new creation. No, it was Croatia they played. So we were a new creation. And then see when they played Sweden, you've seen some Scottish Christians that I'm, I'm Bjorn again. <laughs> thought it was quite good anyway. I, I could have worded that better and had a better flow with it. It never really worked. But <laughs> yeah, I, I, when I thought about it the day it worked uh, this morning, but anyway, it didn't work there. It didn't land well. But uh, anyway. So, 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 so the wee born again guy I met is the only thing I knew and it was totally weird to me. It was radically weird at every level. Um, but I was drawn to what he said. As I say, I was about 18 years of age. I was full-blown alcoholic. I was very needy, insecure. I was, I was a defect looking for a character. I was, and my whole life was a mess, a young man. And uh, 
I was I worked in the building trade and I get propelled into a relationship with the wee born again guy. And it would be me and him in a van, just a van, and we would go around and do work. And he'd be, he was so full on. He, honestly, he was, he was frighteningly full on, uh, beyond anything. You know, it was just he'd, he, he, I think he was quite a new Christian at the time, but he was, he was full on. He, he was full on as a Christian, but he was weird and all, <laughs> which made it ten times worse for me. Do you get what I mean? No, it made it, it made it worse for me, and. Uh, and I had such a stigma towards this born again thing. They would ask me to come to his church all the time, but he would give me pamphlets and leaflets. And to be honest with you, I was deeply, my life was a mess. And I was deeply embarrassed by the thought of born again. I just found it totally embarrassing. You know, I couldn't cope with the embarrassment. I thought, oh my, God, born again, freak show. That's what my life became. You know, that's what I was thinking. I, I couldn't have thought of anything worse than being born again. No, even if he was just a wee Christian that went to the church and just kept his mouth shut a wee bit, I would have been all right, but it wasn't he. He was radical. Uh, and as I say today, I wouldn't even use the word. And, uh, what happened to you is, is that, uh, so understanding what it means is vital. So let me let me start by saying this, okay? Let's go to John 2, 23, 25. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, and I'll get into that story about what happened with me, with a young guy in the process of this. John 2, 23, 25. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, and this is, Jesus has turned the tables, he's... Uh, He's flung everybody out the synagogue, out the synagogue, out the church, and then he says this. And now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. And although. <laughs> I had so many conversations with this wee Christian guy, wee born again. And although I had many conversations with the wee guy, and I kind of believed who Jesus was. I think I believed who Jesus was sort of before that. I know it's Jesus and he's, I'd watched Jesus of Nazareth and that. And I knew who he was. And these conversations with this wee guy was, no, I believed who Jesus was. Well, I sort of did. And I remember this night I prayed he gave me a book. I was about 18 or 19 years of age at the time. And he gave me a book and I was in my bedroom. I stayed with my mum and dad at the time. And it was midweek and I was suffering from a hangover, if I remember right. I, 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 sometimes the longer the story goes on, you can be, eva- you know, you hear the evangelistic stories. You're thinking, you've, you've, you've elasticated that story to make it more trendy and to make it more exciting. You can tell a mile, well, I can tell a mile. I thought, no, and you know what happens when you tell your testimony? The longer you tell it, the... And you're thinking, did that really happen? Do you ever get that? I, I'm not trying to make me out to be a liar here. But the, the, the longer you tell the story, you can't remember whether you've, that's what you believe or you've told that story that much that it actually did happen. Do you know what I mean? So I, I'm very wary of that, no, because I've heard too many evangelistic stories. When people come up and I go, I, I, I don't know why I don't believe that, but I just, I, I think you've learned to tell that story well for effect. Uh, and so... So I remember praying and I remember, this is, I remember reading a passage of the Bible. I didn't have a Bible in my house, right? I had no Bible in my house that I knew. But 
But I had my sister's room, and my sister, she'd moved outside my sister's room, and, but she, I'd still her wardrobes, you know, so. Uh, and I remember getting into her wardrobe, because I think I remember looking for Christmas presents years before it. Uh, and there were a Bible in there, and I kind of remembered it, and I went in and I pulled out a Bible. It was an old Bible that my, my big sister got when she was a wee girl. And I'm like, right, where are you, Jesus? I'm looking for Jesus, and I've been working with this wee born-again guy. But I want to keep Jesus a bit anonymous here, because... I'm not I'm no ready for the full-blown... I'm not ready to live the way he lives. Right, he didn't read the paper. He didn't watch the telly. I used to ask him about football. Or he didn't get near that stuff. So, to me, it was like... Pfft, hold on a minute. What, I, was ter- I, I was counting what I was going to have to give up. Do you get what I mean? That's what I was counting. What, what am I having to... I'm going to have to give up this. And I'm like... Oh, what am I? And he was really beige. No, I mean, really beige. He didn't care about that stuff. It obviously had no meaning to him, and I get that. But he, he, he was the best and worst example I've ever seen of a Christian. Yeah. No, he really was. He, he really was uh, the best and worst example, but it's what God used at the time. Uh, I don't want to be disrespectful to the guy. So I remember praying. I'm saying, Jesus, where are you? Right, I'm going to read. But I'm looking for Jesus in the Old Testament. I'm not wanting to see him in the New Testament or anything like that, because that could have been wrote with MD and... No, if you really existed, you should have existed for the beginning of time and all that stuff. And I remember turning my Bible. I never had read a Bible. I don't think I'd ever really read a Bible, but I opened up my Bible. I don't know if it was randomly or no. My evangelistic says randomly, but I don't know if it was randomly or no. All I know is I read this scripture. Isaiah 53, 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. I'm in my bedroom. It's a Tuesday night. I'm nervous. I'm 19 years of age. I'm looking to try and get healing for my feelings. I'm no one to be born again, but... I'm, I'm, I maybe want, I wouldn't mind Jesus help me out a wee bit here. But born again is no what I'm up for. Yeah. And I'm certainly not up for that type of born again. Yeah. yeah, if that's what it is. You know, and I would hate to be labelled born again. You know, I could have even got away with goes to church sometimes. I could have probably coped with that. I thought, that's no bad, but you're going to give me a whole new title here. So... He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. This is what I read. This is 500 years plus before Jesus even came to earth. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. Yet by his stripes we are healed. And I thought, oh my goodness. And I remember I was 18, 19 years of age and that day I believed Jesus. I believed in Jesus. I remember believing in Jesus. Here's the problem. This might freak you out a wee bit, but he didn't believe in me. See, the end of John chapter 2 is all about no you believing in Jesus. It's whether Jesus believes in you or not. Seriously, I know that's... that's Because we, 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 we teach in church, oh, no, no, you just need to say a prayer and we've got a process. Even Billy Graham, and I don't want to know Billy Graham because he was a great evangelist, but Billy Graham's books, have, they've all got a process to salvate. It's not a process like that. Like, right, tick that, and you say that prayer and give your hands up one. We've had speakers coming here, right, okay, we're going to... Who's no gave their life to Jesus? Everybody, heads bowed, eyes closed. If you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, just say this wee prayer and that'll be you saved. And then you would count, you would see them, one, two, three, four. Then they would post it on their post-it thing that 17 people came to the Lord. I said the prayer, I believe in Jesus. So what happened then is, as I was praying and freaking out because I'd read this scripture, I'm going, oh no, Jesus is real. I'll be quick here. A couple of girls came to my door and chapped my door. 
girls never came to my door, ever. No girls ever came to my door, Jack, my door. Never. The only one time another girl came to my door when I was 14, she came with a horse to go on a date. She had a horse. She came to ask me if I wanted to go on a date. You don't come to your house and scheme in Belsill. She, she had a horse, right? She, she moved, she relocated, right? I remember this. She relocated to the region. She relocated to Belsill. I was about 14 or something at the time. And she, she fancied me. I'm even embarrassed about saying that. So childish, isn't it? She fancied me. <laughs> Don't know what she's seen. So anyway, she fancied me and she came round to my house one night. One afternoon on a bike. Yeah, no, a bike. A horse. This big white horse. She had a big white horse. And I remember, I remember this, I remember my dad, and I was always embarrassed. I couldn't have met a girl if I was sober. I was too nervous. No, I mean, I had to have a drink in me today, anything. Uh, so I remember saying, I remember saying, I remember my dad showing up and saying, there's a, there's a lassie at the door for you. She's got a big white horse. I'm like, oh, redneck, I'm not going out. I'm like, you don't go in a council house and scheme me a lassie like, come on. I was like, what was that? How was I going to go on a date? Just walk with the horse like that. What? Tell her I'm no in. I'm no in. Fred Nick. Do you know what I mean? So that was the only other girl that came and chat my door, apart from this day when I was saying this prayer and two girls came to my door who I'd met. I kind of knew them, I think. I knew them a wee bit. But I'd obviously met them in the pub or something and they thought I was funny. Uh, terrific, isn't it? They thought I was hilarious. No. So they said, do you want to go for a drink? I was 18, 19 years of age. I believed Jesus then and... Ten years I went through alcohol and drug abuse. I used to always pray when I was drunk. Because I had this sense it kind of works. But I couldn't stop thinking about the wee born again. And I thought, ugh, it was just a constant battle. It was almost a ten year battle. And I believed in Jesus, I did. I believed, I believed to an extent. I'd said a prayer and I'd done all that stuff and I believed, but he didn't believe me. And I want to say this, I'm glad he didn't believe me. Because I wouldn't have been church today. Because I would have came as a superficial Christian. I hate, and I know they say, oh, hate's a strong word. It is a strong word, and that's why I'm using it. I hate with a passion that what the church, how the church gets, goes about salvation with people. Because there are many people in church no saved and they are saved now. That's what ends up happening. Because what happens is they've got saved the way I've probably... No, Jesus didn't believe. Jesus didn't believe me. Yeah. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that, that, that that's how it was. And see if you've ever prayed a prayer for, to Christ when you were younger or an SOS prayer and you just went on with your crazy life. You want to be amen and yeah. You want to be amen and that it wasn't a superficial salvation that would have kept you in church maybe for years and keeps people in church for years or in chapel for years and they're not even saved. Yeah. I'm glad that Jesus knew that whatever was going on in me, I knew that behold, I knew that behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of all. There were no enough depth in my belief in who Jesus was. And that was no doing to me, that was doing to him. See, this is, this is, salvation has got nothing to do with you. It's no by works at all. Because yeah. if it was, I said the prayer, I was saved, I would have went to church, I could have went, but it wasn't enough. Yeah. And this is what Jesus is addressing in chapter three. 
And that's why we have to be honest and we have to talk to people. That's why we don't do your hands up or count or seven people were get led. I led seven. You never led MD to the Lord, you know. It's up to Jesus. Jesus found Philip, you know, in chapter two. Jesus found Philip. Philip wasn't even looking for Jesus. Philip wasn't even looking for MD. Jesus came looking for him. And even though I'd said this prayer and the wee born again guy, I remember getting into work the next day and I was like, how did you go on? I says, well, you're not going to believe it. I said a prayer last night. This is what he said. He was, he was full on. I says, I said a prayer last night and what happened was I read scripture for Isaiah 53 and he's like, oh, praise the Lord. He's giving it all this. He's giving it big licks. Praise the Lord. He says, then what happened? I says, a couple of lassies came to my door and I went out for a drink. He's like, that's the devil tempting you. And he was away and all this stuff. And I'm going, that's just freaked me out even more. And what I, I went through this whole process. See, the next till I was 29. I wasn't 29, I was in my 30s. For the next 10 years, I get sober when I was 29. I went to an AA meeting. I used to pray for 10 years. I was praying. I used to only pray when I was drunk. Right, come on. I said, that was my prayers. They were like, come on, I'm ready for you. Come into my heart. Do you know, that's, that's what my prayers were like. Then I'd wake up the next day. I was John Wayne at night and Big Wayne in the morning. That's what I was saying in the right? So I was all that. I was all bravado at night. And then I'd wake up in the morning. Then I'd be nervous again. And then I'd be like, where's the Jesus again? I'd be like, can he go through that boring again stuff? I just pictured that. No, no, that stuff. And I'm like, I can't get near tambourine. And I can't get near it. It's freaking. And that's what I was like, I can't. I'm going to tambourine. I'm going to end up. And he wore the same jumper all the time. And I thought I'll end up wearing the same jumper all the time. No, and it was a beige polar neck. It was ugly. And I thought, in my head, I'm telling you, in my head, I'm thinking, that's the dress code for one of the born agains. Because he'd be telling me it was happening. They were real full on. This guy was full on charismatic Pentecostal. Like, full on signs, wonders, a lot. You name it. He was shabba-dabbing and working. No, he was constant. And I'm like, I'm in this battle. For 10 years, I'm in this battle. But I would pray when I was drunk. I used to chat up girls. I kid you not. I used I talked to them about Jesus. I was crazy. And I believed Jesus, but he knew no he believed in me at that point. And he knows when no he believed in you. Because he knows the heart of man. It says it. He knows your heart and he knows when you're at it. And he knows when you're not at it. And you can't fake your faith. You know that see that fake it till you make it, forget it. You'll never make it if you keep faking it. Never. And as much as I was, I would have loved Jesus to just do something. And I remember I'm sober. I remember this. I can't remember what day or night it was. I'm sober. I'm maybe about four years sober. No, I wasn't four years sober. I was maybe about a year sober. So now I'm about 30, 30 years of age. And I remember I, go, I, I helped a young guy who became my pal and we went to A together, Alcoholics Anonymous together. And I remember sitting in the boat and I said, you know what I need? I remember saying it. He says, what do you need? I says, you know, and, and I must have watched some. I says, you know, you see they folk and they just go bump and they just fall back. You know, that slain in the spirit stuff, right? And they just go like ah. I says, I know what my problem is. No, I'm sober a year, which is a miracle. I couldn't, be, I couldn't stay sober for a week. I couldn't stay sober for a day, Harley. And I'm sober here now a year. But still, it's kind of, I don't have that. I know Jesus exists, but I found a God in my own understanding, which is brilliant, because then I can still be in charge. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I can, I found a God that I'm in charge of, so I'm still in charge, so that's wonderful. Uh, 
And through that process, he'd been in Alcoholics Anonymous for four years because you didn't need to find Jesus or you didn't need to be born again. You could just find a God that suited your world, which was music to my ears because I didn't need to wear a beige cardigan then or anything like that. I could still go to football. I could still do stuff. Basically, I had the best of both worlds. Except I wasn't okay. I was not okay. I was helping everybody. I mean, an AA, because you're, you have different meetings every night. So I used to go to meetings and because of um, my personality, they used to ask me to speak all the time, which was great. So I stopped listening. I only went to meetings to get asked to talk. See if I get asked to talk and I meet, I never went back to the same meeting again. So I've only point gone because they don't ask me to speak because I'm only interested in hearing my voice. Uh, and that's what I did. I hid behind all that stuff for years. And I remember saying to my pal, do you know what I need to do? See that total surrender you see? And he's like, aye. I says, you know, you just see these people just totally just getting on their knees and just surrendering their life to God. I says, I'd love to be able to do that. And I'd said the prayer, I'd done all this stuff. And I believed Jesus. But he knew not to believe me. And what happened was, I went... I went through that whole process and then I went to an AA retreat, okay? I went to an AA retreat. I'm 30, 33 years of age at this point. And I go to AA retreat one summer. I didn't know it was full of Christians. I wouldn't have went and they were born again. That was worse. And I wasn't told that either. I'm like, oh. So I went there and I was full of bravado because I'm now I'm four years sober. I'm four years sober, okay, which is amazing in itself. I'd found a God in my own understanding, so therefore I didn't need to pick Jesus in the New Testament because I was now convinced myself that, listen, I'm looking for Jesus. I'm not looking for somebody of man-made Jesus to suit their... This is what I'd convinced myself. And I go to this retreat anyway. It was a disaster. I was terrified because everybody was telling the truth. And I didn't need to tell the truth. I had enough truth to make people laugh, but not enough truth to tell people... Not enough truth to be naked and unashamed. Do you get what I mean? I had enough, I had enough truth to know that I was sober and I was grateful for that and the God of my own understanding helped me get sober. But I didn't have enough truth to say, can I put my hand up and tell you, my name's Mark and used to say, my name's Mark and I'm an alcoholic. So they asked me to speak. Worst thing they ever done or was that a God thing? Of course it was. So they asked me to speak at the retreat. First retreat. So I got up to speak. And I don't know why I said it. Well, I know why I said it. And I stood up to share my story in my life. And I went, you go, my name's Mark, I'm an alcoholic. And then you tell your story, how you get sober and the life you came for. And wow, everyone's wonderful. And I says, my name's Mark, I'm an alcoholic. And I goes to say something and I says, and I'm a fake and a phony. That's what I said. And I ran out the room like a wee boy. And a wee woman, I always say this, she looked like Mrs. Doubtfire. She probably didn't. That could be evangelistic and all. <laughs> She could have had dark brown hair and looked like Alice Cooper for a while. <laughs> but to my memory, that's the story I've been telling for years, so maybe there's truth in it or no, but I better not say it's true. No for here anyway, I'll say it down there, but no up here. Only oh, kidding. But then she's, she grabbed my arm and she says to me, she says, don't you leave here before the miracle happens. And that freaked me out, man. Well, I was ready to run away for the retreat. 33, I'm running away. I'm running away for the retreat. This is 10 years down the line here. I'm ready to run away for the retreat. I'm off, I'm off, I'm running away. I'm going for a drink. 
was four years sober and I'm going for a drink. And just as I'm getting about to do that, there was a chap at my door, my bedroom door, in this retreat up in the back end of Edinburgh. And there was a chap at my door, and as I opened the door, there were two lassies standing. Now, it would really freak you out if it was the same lassies, wouldn't it? <laughs> You'd be like, wow, no. If I was evangelistic, I would have said it's the same, but it's not. There were just two young girls, two women standing, saying, we're not enjoying it here at this retreat. I says, I'm having a nightmare here. They said, you want to go for a drink? See, there at that moment, before then I knew Jesus, see, at that moment he knew me. Like that. Jesus, you don't just get saved when you're ready. It's not just a process. It's when Jesus picks you. Yeah. This is the amazing thing about grace, isn't it? Yeah. This, is what's ama- this is amazing grace. So the lassie said, you want to go for a drink? And I remember saying, no, and I shut the door. And I turned around to my pal. See the pal that I told you about that I used to say, see that total, I need that total surrender. He was rooming with me. And I turned around and I said to him, I says, you're not going to believe what's happened. And I was shaking and crying and I don't think I was crying, I was still full of pride, but I was shaking. And I says, and I told him the story. I says, I know why I'm here. I've ran for Jesus for 10 years, even though I've believed in him, but he knew I didn't believe him. See, this is saving faith. It's not by works that you can boast. It's none of daily works that you can boast. And that's what happened. And I, there and then, and at that moment, I knew what it meant to be born again. Yeah. I knew what born again was. I've never used the word since. I've never felt the need, to, unless I'm talking about it. I've never, I never left like, hello, I'm born again. I'm, I never said that. I knew, I knew what it meant to be saved. I knew I was, I knew I was a new creation. I knew I was, everyone was the swans were white. And I, you know what it's like when you first get saved? Swans are beautiful. You know what it's like? Look at the hills. Oh, the Lord. You know, everything changed. And it wasn't me. I wasn't a behaviour mode. And I'm so glad that Jesus never listened to me. As if he didn't know. He, knew, he knows when it's real. He knows when he's calling you. For the 10 years and he was in. Do you know what I love? Do you know what I love? He's just in the process of it all, isn't he? Don't you think? That's the river of my grace, isn't it? The two girls. You couldn't, you couldn't make it out. You couldn't pick it. And it had to be that. It would have had to be something like that for me. In order to go, Wow. I couldn't have cared less. About, do you know what I've done? You'll not believe this. The next day I come back for the retreat. This is what I've done. I come back for the retreat. I'm saved. I know I'm a new creation. I'll finish with the scripture, which I've not even got to. This is how I told you about it for five weeks. Save me. Go home. Saved. Know my life will never be the same again. No. Knew, I was sober, but I knew my life would never be the same again. The next day I got up, it's the Monday... I got up on the Monday and the first thing I got up and say, I need to go and see we born again. Yeah. I didn't know where he lived. I says, I'm going to see we born again. I want to tell him. I hadn't seen him for years. I hadn't seen him for 10 years. I says, I'm going to see we born again. So I eventually found out where he stays and I go down to his door and his wife answered the door I'd never met her before. I says, is, is James in? He says, no, he's no in, he's out. And she said this, I says, my name's Mark. I says, you won't know me. But your husband used to tell me about the gospel when I was 19 years of age, when I was sitting in a van and it freaked me out. 
But this weekend, I, I was away and I've been sober for four years and I've been born again. Didn't he say that? I might have. That's evangelistic. I don't know what I said. I said something. And she started crying. And she says, this is going to so help my husband because he's been struggling with his faith, thinking he can't help him. And he's not been able to help people and he's felt he's not been able to help people for years. And he's been trying. He says, wait till he hears this. Wait till he hears that that you've been saved. And I says, I'm going to come to your church. And I went to another church this Sunday, get baptised on the Tuesday. There's no point messing about here, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Just got to go on with it. No. Get baptized. Went to church on the Sunday, baptised on the Tuesday. Went to his church on the Sunday, the church that he was in at the time. And I remember seeing him through the door and I got to say, you know what, I know you think it didn't matter, but it did. But it but it wasn't my time then. It was, it's up to Jesus. It's up to God. Let me close with reading a couple of scriptures here. We'll never get anywhere. Why, does, why did we not get saved then? Because he knows what was in your heart at the time. You've got it. And if we take nothing, and as I've been studying this passage for the last week, constantly, or as much as I've been able to, I'm so grateful, and I, just to pick up on that, that... You need to be so grateful that that SOS call, Jesus knew that wasn't enough. For some people it will be because there wasn't their time and, or maybe they're never meant to be saved. We believe in predestination. Them who is foreknown, he's predestined. What an amazing thing. So let's just, as I close here... Uh, John 3, 1 to 3. This is me just going to that. I haven't even got to this. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is the one that Jesus is talking about when he addresses us. Or Nicodemus is in the room. When Jesus says, listen, I know you say you believe and because I've seen signs that you believe. And he said, but I don't believe you. I don't believe you. I don't, I don't believe to the depths in which you believe in who I am. And see if we have to talk about this in church and hammer that home and hammer, then that's what we should do. Because people, you don't want people to leave. You know, Charles Hatton Spurgeon at the end of every service would, would walk between the aisles and plead with people. Now he knew it wasn't about him. It was up to God. But he didn't want any day to have any superficial faith. You know, that whitewashed faith, you know, and it says in the book of Acts, when they're, they're, they're all fake and Nicodemus is the highest end. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. The biggest thorn in Jesus' side, he's ultra, ultra religious. Everything he does is by works. Nicodemus is one of 6,000 at the time Pharisees, but he's more than that. He's one of 70 men of the Sanhedrin. He's high-end caliber. In fact, it says in the scripture that he was rulers of the Jews. So this guy is high-end teacher, maybe one of the greatest teachers of his time, top three or four teachers of Jewish law. 
And Jewish law is all about this. It's all about external. It's all about works. It's all about behavior. It's all about doing stuff. It's no about grace. It's no about saving faith. No. So he's trying to comprehend us. What are you want about born again? What are you talking about? And Nicodemus cannot comprehend us. Nicodemus would have been, would have studied with people like Gamaliel. If you read the book of Acts, you remember that the apostle Paul sat under the, the teaching of Gamaliel, who was a Jewish scholar. These guys know the law, but they go beyond the law. And this is Jesus' battle. And this was his battle for three years is that people didn't just let the Jews didn't just live the law. They went beyond the law. Jesus never broke the law. And what do you mean by going beyond the law? Because Nicodemus is a scholar, it was not enough for them to adhere to the law. They had to create what the law meant. So what, for instance, the Sabbath and a Sunday, this is, what, this is the kind of things that Nicodemus would uh, doctrinate and believe and, and press into people. So he then, for instance, you could, on the Sabbath you're not allowed to do anything. Okay? So then they have to come up with the next thing. How far are you allowed to walk? So people like Nicodemus would come up with the idea like, you're allowed to walk four mile on the Sabbath. That'd be, see, this is, this is new works, only law. No, no more law. And then they would say this, you were not allowed to look in a mirror. Wait you this, this is crazy. You were not allowed to look in the mirror during the Sabbath, during this time. Now, they wouldn't have had glass mirrors then, they were metal mirrors that they would fix out and we talked about that in the book of Acts before so you weren't allowed to look in the mirror just in case you've seen a blemish in your face or a grey hair in your head and then if you pull that grey hair out that would you, you'd be works <laughs> do you understand how this was a nightmare to Jesus yeah. no no you know way back you know way back hope less so now in, in religious islands in Scotland like the Isle of Lewis oh there were a great revival there an amazing an amazing place of faith but years ago, and they've relaxed a bit. And I think it's good that they've relaxed a bit because it's religion. Yeah. And what they would do is see the swing parks. Maybe some of you know this. Do you know the swing parks where kids, they would tie them in a Sunday. So the kids couldn't go on a swing in a Sunday because that would have been works. I mean, this, you can imagine what Jesus is like with this stuff because like, you can't do anything. And Jesus then meets Nicodemus that says he comes to him at night. Do you know what that means? It means it was no light, it was dark. That's what it means. I've heard people talking about night, it meant it was this. They were talking about the dark night of his soul. You know, we get so drowned in scripture, it's pathetic, you know. So see, the thing is, like, do you know what it meant it was night? It just meant it was after day. Okay, that's what it meant. Do you know what I mean? See, when it says, no, I heard, I've heard different people. I heard John MacArthur preaching a sermon and, and he was talking when he was young. He'd done a message and four points about God being the anchor of your soul because it mentioned about an anchor and the ship sinking its anchor. And he says, I look back in years to come. And, Do you know what the anchor was? A big piece of metal <laughs> that held the ship down. But he's done four point message on the anchor. Do you know what I mean? We have to make this, we have, we have to say what it means. Do you know what I mean? So do you know when it says when he came to him at night, that means it was night. Yeah. Not a day we wear his soul was it or nothing like that, which I've heard people. It was just nighttime. And he probably came at nighttime as because he was a high-end Sanhedrin priest, high priest, and maybe he wanted to have a conversation. Listen, it really doesn't matter. I don't know why he came at night. It doesn't tell you. And you don't need to figure it out. He just did. And he comes to him at night and he has this chat with Jesus. And, and Nicodemus is, 
epitomizes works. He epitomizes works. He thinks, what do you mean? And then he goes on through, how do I get back into the womb? Do I get back? Well, what are you talking about? Do I get back into the womb? Do I do this? How can I? And Nicodemus knows that's not the case, but he's just, he's bamboozled by, why, does, why can you get saved? I believe in who you are, but what do you mean saving faith? What do you mean born again? I'm not used to that. I'm used to the externalization of doing works. I'm used to performing my way into faith. And this is still the day in the Jewish faith. Even in Jewish faith today, if you're a Jew, you speak to a Jewish person today, they believe they'll get to heaven if they do well. How well can you be? You'll never be well enough. How well can you be? You can get to heaven if you do well. I didn't want Jesus when I was 19. I was like, I don't want Jesus. Or he didn't want me because he knew me. And then I get through a performance thinking I can live a good life here. I can get sober and live a good life. It's not enough. It's no by works that you can boast. It's no you. And Jesus knew what was in Nicodemus's heart. And that's why he says, I know you believe because you see signs, but I know what's in your heart. And he's a Pharisee and he's religious. And this guy's maybe one of the most religious guys you'll ever meet. And it all becomes works. And I can relate that to, the, to even the day. So these people at Nicodemus go to another level, he works. Fraser, do you want to come up? Thank you. Let me just close because I'm going to have to. And here Jesus is getting this sorted. I love this, that John wrote this chapter three, that we're getting this sorted right away. What does it mean to be born again? What does it mean? Know the freaky bit and this crazy bit and the hab. What does it mean to be born again? And Jesus is getting it sorted for the beginning by saying your effort, none of day with effort. And nothing today we are processed that, you know, you see in these books. No, you sometimes see it in Christian books. You look at the back, get through the pro, three-step process to being saved. <coughs> really? MD would do that, wouldn't they? They would just do that to get out of paying a bill. Yeah. Would you know? Mm-hmm. You ever had an SOS prayer? Mm-hmm. God, if you get me out of this, I promise. Yeah. I had a million one of them, but we're all being saved then. Yeah. <laughs> but no really knowing Jesus and then going and living a life. You know... Over the years, I've spoke to hundreds, maybe hundreds, hundreds of people, you know, and they even say it about their family, you know. They go to church and say, oh, does your husband come to church? No, but don't get me wrong, they do believe. It's pretty obvious you're not saved either. Because see, if you were saved, you wouldn't be all right just saying that so nonchalantly. You wouldn't be all right saying that. Ah, but they believe. No, I've heard it. I come to church. Does your husband come to church? No, but don't. But he, he believes. And, mate, and then I think, I don't think, you, you can't be saved either if you think that's somehow okay. And then it says, verse 345, as we close, Nicodemus says to him, how can a man be born when he's old? It's not saying Nicodemus is old, it's just people. Can he enter a, a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered and said, most assuredly I say to you. Unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, this does not mean that you need to be baptised to be saved. Otherwise, otherwise, Apostle Paul wouldn't have said, I didn't come to baptise, I come to preach the gospel. Yeah. So you don't need to be baptised to be saved. And some people say that this isn't even about baptism. It's in the womb where there have been loads of water. So you're born of the flesh, and, but then you're born of the spirit. Nicodemus thinks his whole life is 
today works. Jewish people think if they behave a certain way or act a certain way or adhere to all the laws, that'll be enough. Jesus in chapter 2 had zeal for the house and Nicodemus has got zeal for the law and works and behaviours. Let me close by saying this. I've spoke to people maybe for 20 years now, 20 years coaching or counselling people maybe for 15 years of that. See the amount of people I meet who have got a huge, huge problem by, by acceptance, by performance. It's alarming. I was one of them. You know that acceptance by performance that you get, that you have to think you need to perform, that you have to have to do stuff to get acceptance. Best example of that would be, would be, would be in Luke 15 where it talks about the prodigal son and his brother. Now the prodigal son takes his money and he wants all his money and he takes it and says, I want to cash my inheritance and he goes away and spends his money in wild living. Then you've got the other son. He stays. See, as I've studied that scripture over the years, I identify with the son that stayed. Because what happens is, I identify with both, but what happens is the other son comes back and the father says, my son was lost, but now he's found, he's ready. No, it's, before that's no real salvation, but that is. Before it was, he believed in him, but he knew his heart. The other son then says, why is he getting a party? Remember that? Why is he getting a party? Have I not been with you all my life? Where's my party, Marty? Why am I not getting a party? And the father then says to him, what's mine's always been yours? And what the other son's issue had is he had acceptance by performance. He, he thinks he, he thought he had to perform well to get love. He thought he had to perform well to get acceptance. He thought he had to do well to get loved and cared for, which is a pandemic in society. It's pandemic in society because it's absolutely pandemic in our nurturing. Yeah. It's in our nurturing. In our home, when we, we get told we need to do stuff and everyone's by performance and your home's a happier home and you're nurturing, you're doing stuff and you feel as if you're a, just a performance person and all your acceptance comes by performance and then you come to church and you think you've got to have to do the same. I've got to have to do stuff. I've got to have to do this. Uh, I've spoke to so-called Christians like, I need to do my Bible study. I need to do this. I need to do this. And we're not saying that we don't want to grow. That's sanctification. That's a different thing. This isn't just, it's not just Jews. This has been a massive issue. This is, this is still an issue in the church today. It's here, that it's in the church today where it's performance and performance and contemporary church and everything's get. and we're not talking about we shouldn't do anything. But we so base it on results and this. It's the very thing that Jesus fought against for years, his whole life. It's what he fought against against the Pharisees. He was constantly up against them. Meets the woman and she was caught in adultery. A stone, a stone, a stone. He is without sin, cast the first stone. And got, Jesus knew the law and he wrote in the sand. People say he was writing a fish in the sand. You know what he was writing in the sand? More than likely, her name. Do you know why he was writing her name in the sand? Because that's what you had to do when you went into court. You had to write the person's name. People saying Jesus was doodling, trying to figure out what to say next. <laughs> What God was trying to figure out what to say next. I'm not too sure. More than likely he was writing her name. Because that's what you done when you come into a court and he wanted the religious people to know that I know the law. So he would have wrote her name in the sand 
Because that's what you done when you came into court. They would write their name in something that could be blotted out. So if she was found guilty, the name would stay. And if she was found innocent, the name would get wiped. So that's how it worked. And he wrote her name in the sand. See, all the Pharisees and the religious people look and say, no, he knows what he's talking about. And picks up the stone and says, any man without sin, cast the first stone and from the last to the first to left. And then he says to the woman, then he says, where are your accusers now? Where are they now? She says, they're all gone. She says, no, I don't accuse you now either. Because at that moment, there were a divine exchange. A real divine exchange, eh? We're in a relationship now. It's not just that I believe in you. You know my heart and you believe me. That's saving faith. That's grace. We should be cartwheeling if you've been saved by grace. (laughs) When did it happen? When did it happen when I get saved? When did I know I get saved? When I said the prayer on the Sunday... You know, the next day on the Sunday, I went to a service, right? So we go to the service on the Sunday, which is an AA thing, but it was still a service. And some people were then, after that, they were having a prayer meeting for people to get saved. I knew I was saved. I know I knew I was saved the minute I seen the two girls. No prayer, no shabadabbing, no angels dancing. As soon as I seen the door open and I seen the two girls, I, at that moment in time, I knew. And I go to the, we go to the prayer meeting the next morning. And we're in the service the next morning and people are saying, right, come on forward, Mark. After the prayer meeting, come on forward and give your life to Jesus. It's a done deal for me. That was purely ritualistic, that stuff. I was doing that for them and I remember them saying, oh, ask Jesus for forgiveness and I'll never forget it. There was no face, no nothing. But that moment in time, or even before that, I knew what it was like to be in the presence of God. I knew what it was like to be in the presence of God. And these, somebody shabadabbing here, they're praying in tongues here because they're on their own mission. I've got a guy here telling me how to get saved and tell me to say the prayer. And I know I'm in the presence of the lamb who took away the sin of the world. I knew it. And I went through the motions with the people because I think it made them feel good. I don't know why I'd done it. I wasn't caring. But it was no prayer, it was no nothing. It was like that moment in time. For years I believed Jesus. And then that day when that the Lord opened and then that next day, he knew my heart and all. Yeah. I never want to make the service this about me. It's just the section we're in. I never want to be the starry. This, this is not about me. Seriously. I don't, I don't normally would talk like, as if this is all about me. I'm just giving that as an example to say that's... That's what it means to be born again. There's an amazing scripture. Can you put that verse up at the end that he says in chapter one? This is what he said in his prologue. This is what it says. This is what Jesus said in his prologue, what he would do. But as many as received him, to them he gave them the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We're either believers, we're either Christians or no Christians. You're no born again Christian or no born again Christian. 
If you're saved, you're born again. Oh, your life's no longer your own. It was paid for at a price. Praise Jesus. How blessed can we be? See, when we start preaching these messages every week in church, these psychological messages trying to prove how special you are so that you have a better day, your special will day we tweets with angels' wings or we'll send an Instagram photo with somebody saying, don't forget how amazing you are the day. Don't forget the day how special you are. Don't let MD tell you you're no amazing. Do you know what you need to do? Why are you no bother reading them, to be honest with you? They don't help. Because what they do, <laughs> what they do is they can, they can be a placebo for who you really are. Yeah. That's what you need to read to find out who you are. Yeah. And if you've been saved by that grace, how much more special do you think you could ever possibly be? Yeah. How much more special do you think you could be? I am so grateful they ignored my prayers. It's almost like he was like, heard it, Mark. Heard it. No, you're, you're praying to me when you're drunk because you're hurting. You're praying to me when you're drunk because you're hurting, but you don't know me. And in his patience and in his grace and in his rhythms of grace. You know, the amazing thing is, Jesus hasn't he just told you that you'll be saved or he doesn't know you'll be saved. He also knows when, where, how and why. And he'll just work it all out. All for what? For his glory. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Hope United. You can stay connected with us through our Facebook, Twitter and Instagram pages.